Good morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for April 23rd, 2017. Koyo here. So very glad you joined us. Yesterday was Earth Day and I'm reminded that um, ecology and nature is just uh, goes hand in hand with Buddhism. Um, there have been articles and things like Green Buddhism or the Green Buddha. <laughs> uh, there are many echo sanghas have been established. I remember uh, one colleague who was from early on very active uh, likes the uh, statue of Gautama Buddha with one hand touching the earth and uh, this colleague used to say you know terms like green Buddhism is redundant (laughs) and um, the, the dominant theme of interdependency is is right there, you know. I saw an interesting thing some years ago uh, on a license plate. Well, no, it was a it was a bumper sticker, and it said, "Nature is God." Now it could have been God is nature. Uh, I think I guess they both mean the same thing. There might be subtle differences, which which one comes first, but. Uh, it really caught my attention. Nature is God. Um, I I wondered who made that bumper sticker. Where, how how might that? What's the backstory about that? Um, that's a dramatic statement. Uh, it got me thinking. In fact, once when I was at when we were in the Midwest. I was asked to speak, um, you know, we did a lot of interfaith work, and so I was friends with um, Catholic fathers, and there's Liberty, Libertyville, which is a suburb north of Chicago, is a famous uh, seminary, and one of uh, my Catholic fr- um, father friends was uh, teaching a course there to the seminarians and asked me to speak, and I talked about, I told the the class as I was driving uh, that morning, I was thinking about, and I was looking around, you see the sky, you see the trees, you see things in nature, and I said, you know, that's God. Hey, that's God. That's God. Um, But I think, to me, Buddhistically, from a Buddhist perspective, it's important to point out that we don't, I think more Christians, more Christian perspective would be like, the expression would be, oh, God is in the tree, is in the trees. Uh, God is, expresses itself in nature. Or, I see the sky and I see 
I see God behind the sky or as part of the sky or they would not use the the verb of identity. The sky is God. Not that God is in the sky uh, or manifests itself in the sky. And uh, they were kind of intrigued by that emphasis on identity, not a relationship. And I think the same thing holds when you talk about um, uh, you know, when God loves you or uh, you have communion with God, that means that there's a very special relationship between humans and, and God even though it's special and so forth, in a relationship, it's always, that means there's two. Whereas Christian mystics like Meister Eckhart and, uh, has been quoted by D.T. Suzuki in, in articles and uh, Meister Eckhart makes statements like the eye with which God sees you and the eye with which you see God is the same eye. Um, or, he says, intriguing things like uh, empty yourself of God. This, this word emptying as a, as a modern um, theological terminology of kenosis which a few years ago I, I had to I had to look that word up, but it means emptying. Kenosis, emptying, uh, and that's it. <laughs> you know. Uh, this is process theology. This is instead of nouns. You know, well, God empties. To use a gender term, but God empties Himself. Of himself, that's what God does, um, and so my Eckhart says to, his advice to devout Christians is empty yourself of God. Uh, that way, God has more room to work in you, in within you. <laughs> Isn't that pretty pretty neat? Because if you have to, the identity. Versus relationship can also be seen in a, a, a secular domestic uh, example like between spouses where in a relationship you might say, if you emphasize the relationship, you say, I love my wife. Okay. The husband might say, oh, I really love my wife. Oh, I love my... But if he says that too much, <laughs> you want to get suspicious. Or maybe even the wife might get suspicious. Because if you really love your wife, I mean, you're you're one. You don't have to be always be saying it, conceptualizing it. Um, uh, in the same way with God, if you always have to be saying, "Hey, I love God. Oh, God, special. I love," you know, that's that's uh, emphasizing the dualism. So there's a lot of uh, 
nature is God. <laughs> well, I want to introduce today's guest to give us a Dharma glimpse, Michael Shinyo. He lives in Texas, and he was part of the LM3 group. He also has served as um, uh, Trailblazers, the lay minister resource support organization as president. Um, so let's hear from Michael Shinyo. The title of my glimpse is Weeds, Bees, and Oneness. Eight years ago, I wrote something about dandelions, and I've been thinking about them again lately. But now in terms of oneness. Let me first read what I wrote then for a little background on this. So yeah, I noticed dandelions popping up everywhere. I began thinking back to when I was a little boy. Dandelions were beautiful flowers, not weeds. Them and given to my mother, who would then fill up a glass of water to put them in, as if they were some special flowers. There are a lot of fun things to do with dandelions. We'd string them together, wear them around our necks, on our heads or around our arms. We'd also use them to mark ourselves up or mark others with them. It was even more fun when they turned to seeds. Then we could pick them and blow the seeds everywhere. Adults did not see this as fun at all. Blowing seeds everywhere just meant we were planting more weeds. Dandelions are hard to control and they spread so fast. Seeing all the bright and sunny dandelions today about what it means to see things through a child's eyes. Children can see things with wonderment. It's nice to remember what that's like. It's nice to see the beauty in what we what may have um, we may have perceived as ugly or, or as weeds. Maybe dandelions can symbolize dharma, and maybe as we grow the seeds everywhere, the dharma can spread and grow. Well, recently, I read about how dandelions provide the first food for bees. Bees are where my thoughts on one has come from today. We need bees. Plants need bees. All living beings, all living beings need bees. Bees help to pollinate one third of everything that we eat. Just about oneness. We owe them much gratitude for the work that they do. That's not to mention hunting. They also help to make our world a more beautiful place. Just take a look at everything blooming this time of year. Today, go outside and take a mindful stroll. Be aware of everything in bloom. Look for bees. Play the role that bees and other pollinators have in all this beauty. Don't forget to see the beauty in dandelions. Thank you, bees. Thank you. All right. Thank you. I might mention that several of our lay ministers have written books, and uh, Michael Sino, uh wrote, a, wrote one of his books, uh, and it's called Dandelion. <laughs> glimpses of life and uh, uh, many of them you know have used their own Dharma glimpses uh, how to find the teachings in everyday life and put them into book form um, and of course um more recently, we collected some of the recent Dharma glimpses from all the um, lay ministers, and many of 
them have given them on live Dharma Sunday and so forth, and that they were in the Dharma Glimpse book. But <clears throat> nature is such a tremendous teacher, really, really, and uh, <clears throat> we find references to nature illustrations in the Buddhist literature all the time. And it has been pointed out that you know, um, the spiritual attitude toward nature is different from um, the ordinary, well, I won't say ordinary attitude, but the selfish, self-centered human attitude toward nature, which is to use nature, to conquer nature. You know, and maybe this stems from uh, pre-industrial uh, age where uh, you, know, you had to uh, struggle and use science to make advances. The argument doesn't hold because when you think about pioneer people who had to really struggle uh, in the midst of nature, I think they uh, had a healthy oneness with nature. They accepted natural things, even though they had to work hard to survive. Um, but nature, just the wowness, to use a exclamation that my father used quite often. He was no, he was known for those who knew him, you know, I mean what there was a new temple members who uh, invited him to go for on a little trip and when they were whenever he went on a whenever he went driving parents they would always be looking around and they'll be saying, Wow, look at that. Wow, look at that and in fact, I do remember once they saw a huge field of dandelions, and they just were blown away by it and said, "Wow, look at that!" you know but in that case, where this new members that came back from the trip and and they said, "When we first started to hear all those wows, we thought it was sort of put on, you know like kind of a kind of an artificial enthusiasm but after a while, we realized it was really genuine. Wow. Wow, look at that. And in the when my father passed away, somehow I remember we used it in the printed uh, service program. Wow. wow. I don't remember exactly how, how, how we expressed it, but uh, that was an essential part of his fresh view, and a lot of it had to do with nature. I remember um, there's some famous um, haiku poetry by, you know, uh, Zen monks that travel along the the uh, countryside, famous stories like the falling maple leaves, so in front, so in back, and you know, you, you, you can picture a solitary monk walking along the countryside as was the practice in, 
in Japan in the early days. And they would travel from on foot from temple to temple to to study with new teachers and so forth and their spiritual pilgrimages. And to be alone in nature walking like that, kind of a solitude is really conducive to self-reflection and communion with nature. And when that monk saw the falling leaf, he said, oh, yeah, how natural that is. He's falling down, throwing, throwing, throwing back. Gee, I, I don't live like that. Even as a monk, I want to show my good my good side, my front side. I want to hide my backside, <laughs> okay? Or at least not put it out there. This, so he received a great teaching, and he, and he got showed to the belief. You know, that is what spiritual growth is is really all about. Well, the other famous one was Matanazuna, uh, which uh, I don't know the translation of Nazuna, but it's a small weed-like flower that grows on the countryside, and, and uh, the monk was walking along a, a familiar route that he had often, you know, frequently walked. And then he just one day he happened to notice this small insignificant flower growing by the roadside. And he wrote a haiku about it. He said, oh, Nazuna, you know, I, I don't remember the poem, but the point was, you know, even though you're insignificant, even though you're probably not noticed, you know, by most people, you're living your life fully <laughs> without any restraint, whether you're noticed or not. You're not concerned about status or anything like that. Wow. And, of course, the Buddha's flower of the lotus is great teaching. So it behooves us uh, to, to Mother Nature's given us a big boost for uh, the teachings. That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a wonderful day.